0: Welcome to The Beginner's Guide to all things economic, political, and sociocultural. Here we will be sharing quick bites into all the topics, concepts, and theories that we all talk about but should probably know a little bit more about. I'll be doing my best to keep it all unbiased, to the point, and hopefully interesting enough to inspire you to dig a little deeper on your own. With that being said, I'm your host, Emmy Davis, and this is a Beginner's Guide to Inflation. Unless you've been without access to the internet, or television, or any family dinners with your increasingly political extended family, you may have noticed that talk around inflation has made its way nearly everywhere you look. I recently saw a meme on Twitter that was a screenshot from the movie I Am Legend. If there's anybody out there, anybody, please. You are not alone. In the background of the screen grab was a sign listing the gas prices of what was just about to be the post-apocalyptic world the movie was set in. The point of the meme was highlighting that the gas prices in the theoretical world on the verge of ending were now lower than some of the gas prices in today's 2020 America. Gas prices are usually the thing everyone points to when the conversation begins to circle around inflation and monetary policy. Nearly 9 out of 10 adults say they are at least somewhat concerned about inflation, according to a survey conducted in February 2022 by the online research firm Momentive for the New York Times. And these findings are not an anomaly. Over the past few months, I've seen survey after survey echoing the same sentiment among Americans. Inflation is one of those things that becomes more popular to discuss the more it rises. It is also understandable that most of us have minimal knowledge on what inflation is, why it is, what it does, and how to deal with it. How does inflation get to be zombie movie status? While we don't have quite enough time here to sort through the specifics of inflation today, I should be able to at least give you the foundation for a better understanding of inflation as a whole. The term itself is quite simple. However, all the societal, legislative, political, geopolitical, and economic factors that have influence make it a very nuanced topic. Simply put, inflation is the decline of a currency's purchasing power over time. Another way to think of it is that inflation is the measure of how much more expensive a set of goods and services have become over a certain period of time, usually over one year. This second definition probably makes more sense off the bat, since it references the day-to-day reality of what inflation looks like. However, I do wanna stress that it is not simply the price of goods going up arbitrarily. The devaluation of the money and the subsequent rise in the cost to produce just makes it look like that's what's happening. Inflation can be calculated by finding the rate of change between the dropping value of the currency and the rising of the general level of prices. It's kinda like one of those classic word problems in school. The one where you have to figure out the rate at which the train is traveling between two stations, or something like that. Except for our purpose, picture two trains leaving a station at the same time. One train is called prices, the other one is called value. Prices heads north while value heads south. Actually, there's an easier way to calculate inflation. Just remember that the rate at which they move in opposite directions is the inflation rate. The most common way to go is to check out either the Consumer Price Index, aka the CPI, or the Wholesale Price Index, aka the WPI. Economists came up with some fun names for the different categories that indicate the rates of inflation. The first category is Creeping Inflation. As the name would suggest, an inflation rate that rises in an increment of one to 4% a year falls under creeping. Next we have walking inflation. Here, the rate is still in the single digits annually. Anything from two to 10% annual rate increase will be labeled as a walking. Central banks won't really start to concern themselves too much with inflation until it gets to a rate at or over 4% increase annually. What could possibly come next? No, not skipping, but running inflation. Here we have an increasing rate that falls between 10 and 20% a year there is no universally agreed upon number for the next category. Some say it's a rate of 20 to 100% increase annually, while others say it goes all the way up to a 1000% annual increase. Either way, it goes by galloping inflation. Now, if you're a visual person like me, up until this point, these labels may have elicited an image of a person illustrating the different speeds of inflation. Then galloping came along and of course, you have to change to picturing a horse which then brings you to picture a horse creeping funny or that scene from Bob's Burgers comes up where Tina is at the horse camp galloping around the arena sans an actual horse I'm ready for the real thing terrible humor aside the next and final category is reserved for a truly devastating rate of inflation hyperinflation was termed for annual rates greater than 1000% typically the hyperinflation will be invoked for 50% increase per month The reality on the ground, during times like this, have prices changing so fast that it becomes a weekly or daily occurrence. How does this end up happening? Something with such a seemingly simple equation sounds like it should be relatively easy to monitor. With the government and central banks holding the dominant influence over currency and the regulations around goods and services, you'd think that they'd be able to keep inflation from ever spiraling out of control. However, like so many things having to do with the economy, there are always a million other factors that come into play and change everything. Up until the recent technological boom that has increased productivity, it was generally agreed upon that monetary policies were the root of inflation, especially the ones that resulted in a substantial increase of currency entering the economy. These increases come following the decision to print more money despite there being no substantial growth in goods and services entering the economy. For example. All of the COVID relief checks and the additional government spending that went on during the COVID-19 pandemic was done with freshly minted money. The money required to fulfill the relief checks alone increased our money supply by 27%. With the economy essentially put on hold during this time, there was no counterbalance from the goods and services sector to make up for the influx of money supply entering the economy. When you have a fiat currency like the US dollar that is not backed against anything other than scarcity, you have a currency that is agile with an equal potential for advantage and disadvantage. The disadvantage being that printing too much money, when the market is not growing at the same rate, quickly drives down the money's value and drives up the value of the goods and services. It's the balancing act of perception, making sure that the currency is always valued higher than what it can buy. For example, an item that cost $10 in 2021, but now cost $10.61 in 2022, or in other words, from 2021 will only get you $9.39 worth of goods today in 2022. Beyond an influx in money supply, inflation can also be caused by demand dramatically outpacing the capacity to supply, as well as supply dramatically increasing their prices due to their cost to produce it going up. These are called demand pull inflation and cost push inflation. A form of inflation we haven't heard much about is stagflation. Stagflation is characterized by high unemployment, high prices, and low GDP. A cause of stagflation could be when the government prints currency, which would increase the money supply, i.e. create inflation. And then they raise taxes, which would slow economic growth. Both of these together could pretty quickly create stagflation. This may sound like a better option than the old classic inflation. But according to most economists, the only way to get out of stagflation is to increase productivity so much that it could lead to higher growth while simultaneously reining in the monetary policy to avoid adding any additional inflation, which sounds much more simple than it is. Advice being, be extremely proactive in avoiding stagflation. That advice is good to remember, but what about advice on how to correct high inflation today? As much as I don't wanna completely shatter your view of me, I'm gonna be honest and say that I don't have the exact answer for solving our inflation problems. However, I do know that the first step in solving it is to understand what caused it. Once you have a handle on the causes, you can take each cause one by one and apply a counter to it. Just remember, it's all a balancing act and that an overcorrection in one area could cause something negative in another, leaving you in the same spot but for different reasons. So, the inflation we are seeing today we know for sure has a few root causes. One, being the overprinting of money Congress passed in the name of COVID relief. Two, we know that the economy took a major pause, which caused people to lose their jobs, companies to close, and overall production of goods and services to decline. Three, we know that there are a number of major goods that we are only taking in as imports from other countries rather than producing them ourselves. And four... We're out of time. Needless to say, there's a lot to it and there really isn't any fix that doesn't require some levels of sacrifice from everyone. I'll leave you with something positive. To quote the great Isaac Newton, what goes up must come down. I'm pretty sure he was talking about inflation, right? This has been the Beginner's Guide to Inflation. This podcast is a subject entertainment production for Free Markets Destroy, a project of the Washington Policy Center. Free Markets Destroy celebrates the power of free markets to tackle humanity's most daunting challenges. The world isn't perfect, but it's getting better every day thanks to entrepreneurs who work tirelessly to deliver life-changing innovations. Washington Policy Center is a nonpartisan, nonprofit public policy research organization that publishes studies, sponsors events, and educates citizens on vital public policy issues. For more information on either, check out freemarketsdestroy.com or washingtonpolicy.org. As always, thanks for listening and do your own research.